Lord Jesus, it is true that you are amazing. It is true, Lord, that you are um, incomparable. That, Lord, you are before all things. And, Lord, you created all things for yourself. And in you, all things are held together. And so, Lord, as we approach you today, help us not lose perspective that this is not some empty religious practice we're participating in, but we're coming to meet with the great I am. We're coming to meet with the author of all of creation. And so, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you would even um, come and meet with us. Who are we that you're mindful of us? Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness and your love. And so, Lord, now as we open your word and and we ask that that you give us your understanding, give us your wisdom, our knowledge is small, it's incomplete. And so, Lord, we ask for, for you to be here, for you to speak, for you to move. We need you. We're desperate. You are our only hope. So meet with us now. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been going through the book, I Am a Church Member. Um, And and we're on our last week, we're on the sixth week here uh, of being a church member. What does that look like? We've been through it all. We we looked at I'm a, a functioning church member, actively serving. I'm a unifying church member, actively pursuing relationships and rejecting division. I'm a church member who doesn't demand their own preferences or desires. It's an unselfish church member. I'm a church member who prays for their leaders. I'm a church member who leads their family to be healthy church members. And this week, I'm a church member who treasures their membership as a gift. Um, And I understand as you look at your outline, you'll see the title is wrong. Uh, I am not a perfect church member, so I mess up. So there you go. But the title is actually of of the sixth and final chapter. I'm a church member who treasures their membership as a gift. And so the description here of church membership is that it's a treasured gift. What's the difference between a treasured gift and just a gift. Well, a treasured gift is something that holds extreme value, right? It's of utmost value. And a regular gift might be something that's not too special. Maybe it doesn't hold a lot of value. Maybe it's just a bad gift, right? And we've all been given gifts that we treasure, haven't we? I hope so. Wow, that'd be really sad if you haven't. But we've all received gifts that we treasure. Maybe you received a gift of, of money to pursue a, a further education, right? That's something you would treasure. Maybe you uh, uh, parents out there, you received a little piece of construction paper with some scribbling on it, and they told you, yeah, that's your Father's Day gift, that's your Mother's Day gift. And what do you do? You treasure those things. You've all received those gifts, but we've also just received just gifts we don't treasure, and, and maybe it's because they're not that special, right? Not that they're bad, but maybe they're not special. You know, maybe a sweater you got for Christmas. Not a gift I'm going to treasure. Good gift, don't treasure it, right? Maybe, uh, Dad, you received uh, your thousandth tie, right? And you thought maybe that would be special, and guess what? It's not. It's another tie. So not a bad gift, just not that special. But we've also received bad gifts, haven't we? We receive some gifts, we don't treasure them because they're just bad, right? How many of you received uh, exercise equipment, though you did not ask for it? Anybody? That is a bad gift. Or uh, a couple of Christmases ago, I had someone buy me a t-shirt, 
and the t-shirt was sized extra large. Now, I don't know if you knew me two years ago, wasn't that much different, all right? Not an extra large then. And so basically what this person communicated to me was, I didn't try, but I want you to know I didn't try, right? So there you go, extra large, right? Uh, I, I, asked, I asked my wife this question, what was the gift you, you gave or you got that you didn't treasure? Something that, that was just a bad gift. And she told me this story, and, it, and, and, and when she told it to me, uh, we've been married coming up in March, eight years, is that correct? And uh, I had never heard this story it's, it's really a tangent, but what are you going to do? I have a microphone. And I laughed really hard, and I said, Angela, it's not exactly what I was looking for, but I'm going to tell it now. So when she was a kid, you know when you're a teenager, and, and it's your first, like, first couple of Christmases where you get to buy your own gifts? You know, so your parents take you to the mall, and you've got your money. Either they gave you or you saved, and you've got your list, and you're going to go buy. Those are some of the worst gifts, right? Those, those just sometimes just end up to be the biggest train wreck. So Angela ends up, she goes to buy her dad some pajama pants for Christmas, right? Like she's a teenager, saved her money, she's really excited about it. She remembers that the people who were helping her were a little um, off-put by her purchasing these pajama pants for her father, right? And they just thought, like, this is a really, this is a little strange. And they, and, and, and they were acting a little weird, but it didn't send any red flags off in Angela's head. So she buys it, she wraps it up, and gives it to her dad. And when he opens it, they're not exactly what Angela thought she was buying. Uh, they were a pair of very racy briefs uh, that you would buy a husband, boyfriend, or, or something you would not give somebody for Christmas, right? And that's just, it's one of my favorite examples of, of just a bad, bad gift. Although I'm sure that that, like that, that memory you gave me, that's a treasure, right? Like that is something I will treasure. Um, so a treasured gift is very valuable. Now what determines value? Well, you do. Or, or, or really, not you per se, but, but what you treasure determines the value of everything else in your life. What you mainly treasure sets the value of everything else in your life. I'll give you an example. Uh, there are two piece, uh, pieces of paper in my office uh, in a folder. And if you were to walk up to me and, and try to offer me $1,000 for those pieces of paper, I would not accept that thousand dollars, right? On those pieces of paper in my office um, are uh, something Angela printed off when we were dating, and it was our first instant message conversation on the computer before we started dating. In fact, I'm going to show you how lame I was. It was the instant message conversation, right? So typing back and forth of when I asked her out, right? And you're like, wow, that was really smooth. Yeah, I know. Shut up. Whatever. It worked out. We're married. But anyway, um, it's very precious to me. There's not another copy of it. Come to think of it, I should probably go make copies of it. There aren't any other copies of it. It's painful to read. Oh, my gosh, it's embarrassing, right? I remember at the time thinking, like, I got game. No, it was awful. It was really bad, really embarrassing, but I treasure that, right? And, and why? Why does that have value? Because I treasure Angela, and so she determines that value. That $1,000, I don't care. That means nothing to me in light of that, right? For another goofy example, I treasure my children. If you were to offer me all of the wealth of the world to miss my watching my children grow up? No, you can have it, right? I don't treasure that. Whatever, whatever else in the world can offer me, I don't treasure that. I treasure my children so they determine what's valuable, right? And so what you mainly treasure determines your value. Now listen, as followers of Jesus, we mainly treasure what? Jesus, 
That's who we mainly treasure. Jesus told a quick parable that kind of showed us that if you're going to follow me, you better treasure me, right? You better treasure You're not going to be able to follow me if you don't treasure me. Here's what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's following Jesus, right? Looking at Jesus, determining that he is the treasure, right? Nothing else compares, and he's worthy of giving up absolutely everything. That's following Jesus. If you don't treasure Jesus, you can't follow him. You really can't. When times get tough, right, you're not going to follow Jesus. And Jesus said this, uh, listen to this. In Mark 8, 35, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So if I treasure Jesus, then I mainly live for Jesus, right? He determines what's valuable in my life. What's valuable to him is now valuable to me. I mainly want to see him honored. I mainly want to see him made famous. That's why Paul said, you know what? If I live, I live for Jesus, right? He's my treasure, so I live for Jesus. If I die, guess what? All the better, because I get Jesus, right? So, so everything in our lives now as we follow Jesus, as we treasure Jesus, it's all about him. He's our treasure. That's following Jesus. So I'm obedient to him first. Not me, not what I want, not what other people tell me, but I'm obedient to him mainly and him first. Why? Because he's my treasure, right? And so I, I value things that honor him and obedience honors him. And here's what our treasure, Jesus, tells us to do. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily. What does that even look like? Here's what it looks like. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, again, obedience honors him. He's our treasure, so that's valuable. Obedience to him is valuable. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So be holy. That's what Jesus is telling us. Be holy. Be like me. Don't be like you used to be, right? Don't conform to that anymore, but be like me, right? Don't conform to the, the, the ways of this world. Don't conform to the ways you used to be. Conform to me. Act like me. Conform to my holiness. Be holy, right? And, and that's, that's what following Jesus is all about. It, it's, it's, not, it's not measured by how much knowledge you have about him. It's measured in how much conformity you have, right? I used to, uh, when I grew up, um, I grew up at a small country church, Bellevue. And as I grew up there, um, I remember, like, as a teenager, on an average week, I would sit under at least five or six different Bible teachings. On an average week, five or six, Right? I barely, like, know what I'm talking about just once, right? But to remember five or six different Bible teachings. And I used to measure being like Jesus, being holy, by the amount of knowledge I had about Jesus, by the amount of knowledge I had about his word. But being holy, as he is holy, being like Jesus, it's not about knowledge mainly. It's about conformity to his holiness. That's why we must decrease and he must increase right it's not about what i know about him it's about how my behavior my life my heart conforms to be like him that's what holiness is about that's what pursuing jesus is about 
So we, we understand that our treasure determines the value of a gift. And so if Jesus is my treasure, then what will be a treasured gift? Anything that honors my treasure. That's a valued gift. Anything. Anything that honors what I value the most, that's something I will treasure. That's a treasured gift. And since obedience to be holy honors my treasure, honors Jesus, then a treasured gift would be anything that helps me be holy. Anything. Anything that helps me not be like I was and helps me be more like him, that's a treasured gift. Anything that helps me conquer disobedience and grow in obedience, that's a treasured gift. Anything that helps me in my pursuit of being more like him in, my, in this process of sanctification, just a fancy word, by the way, meaning to be made holy, be made more like Jesus, anything that helps me in that process, anything that pushes me along in that process, anything that honors my treasure in that way, making me holy, making me like him, that's valuable. That's a treasured gift. That's not just a gift I throw aside. That's not just a gift that I say, hey, appreciate it, great, see you next year. That's a gift that I treasure. That's a gift I know where it is. That's a gift I hold close to my heart. That's a treasured gift. Anything that helps me be holy like he is holy. I'm going to treasure that. So why is church membership a treasured gift? Here it is. Church membership is a crucial mechanism God uses in making us holy. Church membership is a crucial mechanism God uses in making us holy. We're going to look in, in our remaining time together just a few ways that God uses Christian community um, or, or the church to, to help make you holy. But before we do, before we get there, before I move on, I, two things I want to say about the church being that, that crucial mechanism. One, um, I didn't always believe this to be true. And, and if that's true, then, then if there's anyone else out there like me, if there's anyone else who's as simple-minded as I am, then, then you probably think the same thing. And maybe you're sitting there right now thinking the same thing. I didn't always believe that to be true. I, I remember growing up and, and having uh, different people in my life, family members, family friends, and, and being a part of a Christian community wasn't important to them. And I heard them say things like, well, I have church at home, you know, and different things like that. And and all I need is, is the Bible, and I'm, and I'm good. I don't need other people. And, and, and I remember thinking, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? And, and then, like, as I got older, I realized how hard community is. You know, it's hard to get along with people, right? Like, like be honest. Is it hard to get along with me? No, please don't answer. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm, I'm too fragile for that. Don't answer. But anyway, like, it's hard. Community is hard. And, and so I, all the more I wanted to believe, uh, I wanted to believe that, that you know what? It's not true. It, the, the, the community that, that Christ has, has created in himself, as calling us together, it's not crucial. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to be holy, it's not crucial. I wanted that to be the truth because think about this process of being made holy. It's hard. Dying to yourself, it's extremely hard, right? I, uh, I, I recently, I say recently, it was months ago, but I remember sitting down with a good friend of mine and and having coffee with him, and um, uh, he is uh, much, much older than me, further along in his faith than me, and, and, and I was, he, was, he was asking me how he could pray for me, and, and so I'm telling him, and, he, and I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, um, this whole dying to yourself thing is really hard. Can you pray for me about that? And I'm like, dude, what? 
Like, you mean you don't get over that? Like, it, does, it doesn't all of a sudden, like, you figure it out, and you're like, oh, that's how it happens. Like, no, it's really hard to die to yourself, right? It's really, really difficult to be made holy. It means that, that the roughest edges that are in our lives, we can't ignore them. We have to deal with them, and we have to touch them. We have to, we have to rub those rough edges. We have to grind them down. Like, that's difficult. It means shining light into the darkest corners of our lives. It means owning up to the most embarrassing moments, right? It means owning up to those moments where like a dog we've returned to our vomit over and over and over again. It means not ignoring those and moving past those. It means owning up to those things. It's hard. Pursuing holiness is hard. And so for years and years I, I didn't believe that Christian community was crucial in pursuing holiness. And so I tried it on my own. And it was awful. And I, I said, you know what? I confess to no one but God. That's it. Just me and him. I, you know, I'm not Catholic. I don't need a priest. Just me and him, right? Right? Like, I don't need anybody else. And you know where it got me? I bet you know exactly where it got me because I bet a lot of you are there right now. It got me nowhere. It got me frustrated. It got me in the same hole I was always in. There was no one there to pull me out. Right? Christian community is crucial. And I pray today that the Lord sets you free as he set me free and realizing that Christian community is absolutely crucial in our pursuit of holiness. The other thing I want to say before we move on is, <coughs> as the Lord was showing me this over and over again, he was saying to me over and over again, you can't do this alone. Do you see? Do you see now? You know, I'm falling that same hole again. Hey, you get it yet? You can't do this alone over and over again. And and even as I, uh, this, this uh, past week, there's a day I, I, I read the book of Acts. And as I read the book of Acts, the story of the early church, like, they were never alone. A single one of them was some lone crusader. There wasn't anybody out there as a lone ranger for Jesus, right? They were always together. Peter gets busted out of jail by, by an angel of the Lord. You know where he goes? He, he doesn't go to do his own thing. He goes right back to his believers. They're never alone, ever. Community was that important. And, and so a question kept coming up in my mind. Why did you make it this way, God? Like, why in the world did you make it so that it has to be crucial? That it's a crucial mechanism. Why did you make, why can't I just do it on my own, right? And, and I think here's why. Christian community reflects his nature. Jesus prayed this in a high priestly prayer. He prayed this. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our God by nature is a communal God. Our God by nature is in constant, perfect community with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when we're communal, when we show the world that that's a possibility, then we reveal his nature to the world. When we display the love of God in our community, we reveal his love to the world. When we display selflessness in our community, we reveal his humility to the world. Living and loving in community shows the world the very nature of God. We reflect his image in that way. Christian community is absolutely a, a beautiful thing that the Lord uses to reveal to the world his nature. It's an incredible gift. So, so let's, let's get back to it. So, so if you treasure him, treasure Jesus, then you'll want to honor him. If you want to honor him, then you'll obey him. If you obey him, then you'll pursue holiness. And if you pursue holiness, you must have community. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at two verses in these few moments we have together. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 
24. And this is going to show us some ways that community helps us in our pursuit of holiness. Notice I said some. Like there are incredible other examples in the scriptures of how the Lord uses community. There are incredible examples uh, in your own life that I'm sure you could come up with of how the Lord has used community in your pursuit of holiness. But we're going to look at just a few out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. You don't have a Bible. There's some under the chairs. Uh, that's our gift to you. You take it. It's yours. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. There's a, a table of contents in the front. Um, that's what it's there for. Use it. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24, you guys ready? Whatever, I can't wait. Here we go. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think this is interesting language that he uses here. Notice he says, consider how to stir up one another. That doesn't seem like very strong language for a crucial mechanism, right? Consider. Right? And our culture considers all, almost always preceded by what words? Maybe you should. Isn't it always like, a, like a, some sort of suggestion? Maybe you should consider this. Maybe you should consider this other opportunity. Maybe you should consider this other option, right? Uh, maybe you should consider, like, like in your life, maybe you should consider um, your carpool buddies on your way home from work before you order that gut buster chimichanga, right? You know what I mean? Like, like considering is not necessarily a law. It's not a command. It's just uh, it's a suggestion. But here, that's not at all true. Consider, in the original Greek language, is kata no, which means consider carefully or discern. Or discern. Which, by the way, that, that definition might not be that helpful. But, but you know what will be helpful? Seeing this, this very word used differently. In Hebrews 3.1, it tells us to consider, kata no, Jesus. Consider Jesus. Which means in that context, focus on him. Think about him. So it's talking about, when it says consider, it's talking about a, a focus. This means that we should be regularly thinking about each other's holiness. Isn't that incredible? I'm a very selfish person. And when I follow Jesus, like being selfish is still right in the middle of that, right? Until he ultimately just, just takes that out of my life. I, I hope he's chipping that out one time, one piece at a time. But ultimately when I see him and, and, and I'm made perfect and that's removed from me, like I'm selfish. And so on my pursuing holiness, like, like I'm, I'm right there. Like, okay, gotta, Grant's got to pursue his holiness, right? Like, okay, you're pursuing holiness? Whatever, get out of my way. I'm pursuing holiness here, right? Like, and, and so here's the reality. If you want to be holy... According to the scripture, if you want to be holy, then you must consider other people's holiness. How could you be more like Jesus? How can you be more like the Holy One than when you consider other people's holiness? Think about it. Like he laid down his life to make us holy. He definitely considered our pursuit of holiness. And so we should regularly be concerned for our brothers and sisters' pursuit of Jesus. That means to ignore that part of their life because it's too personal to talk about, right? That means to ignore that part of their life or your life in conversations with your brothers and sisters because that might be too embarrassing, too uncomfortable. It hinders not only their pursuit of holiness, it hinders yours as well. So if you want to pursue holiness, you want to be holy like he is holy, then you must consider, regularly consider one another's pursuit of holiness. So consider how to stir up one another. I'm so glad it says one another because this means that it's mutual. You know, when people leave, leave churches, and, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you've seen people leave church, 
probably the most common thing they say is, well, I wasn't being fed there, right? I wasn't being ministered to there like, like I should have, right? I can be ministered to better elsewhere. And maybe one of the main questions we should be asking ourselves is, how am I helping others grow? How am I ministering to other people? Like, yeah, 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 focus on your pursuit of holiness, but how am I concerned and how am I helping others in their pursuit of holiness? Because according to the scripture, well, I mean, what, we're in five words so far, six words so far? And so far, like, it's saying nothing about you. It's saying everything about other people, right? Consider them. Focus on them. How can I help them? <coughs> so we, need, we see that it's... Um, mutual. And, and this is incredibly encouraging because you know what? As difficult as it is to pursue holiness and, and fight sin and fight that conformity that we naturally want to do, right? You naturally want to fall back into that conformity. As, as difficult as that is, here's what the scripture tells me is that you're never intended to do it alone. We fight side by side. Isn't that awesome? Like seriously, like look behind you right now. You wonder who's got your back. I mean it. Seriously, turn around and look at him. Like, you're going to look at their back of their head. If they're looking forward, it's going to get real weird in here, right? But look at the person behind you. Who's got your back in this pursuit of holiness? They do. Who's walking with you in your pursuit of holiness? Look to your left. Look to your right. If you're on a road by yourself, this just got weird. I'm sorry. It's got real sad for you. Who's, who's going in front of me? Who's helping me? Who's leading me? Look to the person in front of you. You have people all around you. We are absolutely in this together. As difficult as this pursuit of holiness is, you were never intended to do it alone. Thank God he called you to be a part of the body. Thank God that he called you uh, to be a part of this army together, to fight together. Isn't that incredibly encouraging? It's mutual. So consider how to stir up one another. I love that word, stir up. It literally means inciting and, and provocation. I love that idea of stirring up because I'm very annoying. And so I think like maybe this is a spiritual gift now, right? Because I can provoke people, right? But, but here's what it says. Stir up one another. You know, I, I kind of wish it said something else. I, you ever do that? You ever read the scripture and you're like, man, uh, Jesus, you sure that's what you meant? I, I kind of wish it said consider how to teach one another about love and good works. I can do that, you know? If my brother's messing up, if he's, if, if he's fallen, if, if he's struggling with something, I can talk at him all day. That's easy. But here's what it says. It says, consider how to stir them up to love and good works. That means that it's not good enough to talk at my brother. It's not good enough to tell him what to do. It, here's what it means. It means that now I have to consider how to help him battle that behavior. I have to consider, I have to be thoughtful and think about how can I stir him up? What will inspire him to, to do good works and to, and to love, to change that attitude, right? It's a lot more work. And also stir up, by the way, implies that we can all be stagnant. We can all be, have spiritual blind spots. We can have areas of our lives where, where we didn't realize we were even sinning. We've all been self-deceived. I remember just recently I was upset about the way someone spoke to me about something. And I, and I was like, you know what? They sinned against me. And they did. And I was upset about it, right? It wasn't two weeks later I did the exact same thing to somebody. And that person reacted. They got upset. When I was like, why are they upset? What did I say, right? And I talked to somebody else about it. And they're like, you, you did exactly what that person did to you two weeks ago. And I went, what? no, 
yes, I did. Yes, I did. Right? Like, we all have spiritual blind spots, and we can all be stagnant in areas of our lives, and we need one another to stir that up, right? Areas of our lives that we've settled for something lesser. I remember uh, I had a friend who, the first time I met him, I thought he was really reckless and kind of crazy. He would go out to, and do crazy things. He'd go out to parking lots, and he would look for people who was, they weren't in cars, so obviously they were hanging out there because potentially they lived there, they, they were homeless or whatever. He'd start feeding them. He'd start bringing people into his home, and I thought, man, you're absolutely out of your mind. The more I got to experience that with him and see that with him, it stirred me up, and I realized that what I considered, my definition of loving my neighbor was small. It was small. It wasn't rewarding. It wasn't honoring the Lord, right? So I needed him to stir me up. I had a blind spot there. We all need to be stirred up. So consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Aren't these the same thing? Love and good works, right? Like being kind, isn't that a good work? No, no, no. Love focuses on an inward holiness. Good works focuses on an outward holiness. Let me explain. So stir up to love. That focuses on our attitudes. I told you the very first week we were going to read what scripture for six weeks straight. Anybody remember? 1 Corinthians 13. You thought I was lying? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 13. Look at this. These are inward attitudes. Love is patient. It's kind. doesn't envy. doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, resentful. doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. But rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So they start internally. They manifest in good works. They show up. Uh, and, uh, patience shows up uh, in, in our lives, and, and we act patiently, but it starts with an attitude of patience. Kindness shows up in our lives, and we do an act of kindness, but it starts with an attitude of kindness. So how do we stir up someone to love? That's interesting. How do we do that? You know, as I thought about that, what are some examples? How, how do we do that? The only thing I can think of is how did that happen in my life? How did people stir, up, uh, stir me up to love, right? How did that work? So these are my examples, just the way it's, it's happened to me. Number one, someone loved me. Someone loved me, and that stirred me up. I'll give you some examples. When, when someone takes my venom, and, and they, take, they take the harsh words that I speak, and they're patient with it, I'm stirred to be patient with others. When someone catches me on a rough day, and I'm very rude, and they're kind in the face of my rudeness, I'm stirred up to be kind. When someone displays humility, you know what? Boasting all of a sudden looks really ugly, looks really unappealing. And I'm stirred up towards humility. When someone gives me the benefit of the doubt, I'm stirred up to release my cynicism. When someone bears with one of my many, many burdens, I'm stirred up to cut other people some slack and help them as well. Right? So someone loved me and, and it stirred me up to love other people. And also accountability. I've been challenged personally. When my attitudes weren't patient, when I wasn't kind, when I wasn't humble, when they weren't loving, I've been literally challenged. And, and you know what that requires of you? Giving people permission to challenge you, right? Because people don't do that. We, I know we talk about, like, yeah, people are rude. We're pretty, we're pretty not at times, right? Like, we're, we're pretty considerate at times. And, and we don't want you to feel awkward. Why? Because I don't want to feel awkward, right? And so you have to give people that permission in, my li- in your life. There should be close people in your life that you say, you know what? Listen, seriously, if, if, if I act, and, and I act in a way that's not loving, I speak in a way that's not loving, you've got to help me, man. Like, I am, I am just, I, you know how dense I am, right? Like, you've got to help me. So accountability, being challenged to love. Um, you know what, another way? Talking about Christ's love. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. 
My faith grows the more I hear of people talking about Christ's love. I had lunch with a friend uh, just Friday, and he was telling me about, he was, ta- he was considering and thinking about and meditating on when Jesus uh, forgave the adulterous woman. They catch her in the act of adultery, bring her to Jesus, say that the law tells us to stone her. What do you want to do? And Jesus said, you, you who don't have any sin, you cast the first stone, right? And, of course, they dropped the stone. And so the woman looks up and Jesus said, is there anybody here to condemn you? She said, no. And he said, I don't either. Go and sin no more. And it blew his mind, the grace of God. The grace of God. This woman was caught absolutely guilty. He said, I don't condemn you. I'll go and sin no more. And, and he's talking about that. He's talking about what that looks like in his life and, and, and what that grace looks like lived out in his own life. And you know what? I left there stirred up. Talking about Christ's love for us, I was stirred up to love other people, right? So those are just some of the ways that I've been stirred up to love. So, so we stir up to love in that way. Stir up to love and good works. So good works focuses on our actions. So what does humility lived out look like? What does patience and kindness look like? So how do we stir up someone to good works? Again, the only examples I can think of are, are the way I've been stirred up to good works. And, and the first one is someone serves me. You know, when, when we uh, had Max, <coughs> our oldest, and we were in the hospital, you know, people, I remember how much it meant to me that people showed up, just showed up, just to check on us. I remember how much it meant to me that people would bring us Wendy's or that someone would bring us a roll of quarters for the vending machine, right? And I remember how much that meant to me. And you know what? It stirred me up to not miss small opportunities just to show up in people's lives, right? Uh, people serve me when I get notes of encouragement. It stirs me up, and it makes me realize, you know what? This means so much to me, then I need to show other people gratitude as well and, and watch it stir them up. When people serve my family, it stirs me up to be considerate of other people's families and serve other people's families, right? So someone served me. Another way, I've just been challenged. I've been challenged. Uh, again, I, I think we don't uh, uh, always challenge people because... Like, we, we think, like, okay, love doesn't insist on its own way, right? Like, like we use that as an excuse. But, but sometimes we're sitting on the sidelines. Why? Be honest. Why are we sitting on the sidelines? Uh, we're waiting on an invitation. I'm waiting on somebody to hold their hand out and pull me up off that bench, right? And that happened in my own life. There's a ministry opportunity um, in, in seminary that absolutely scared me to death. And it wasn't that I was unwilling. I was a coward. And I was like, I'm, nope, I'm going to sit here and you take care of them. This will be good, right? And I remember someone coming and talking to me about it. And they said, why not, man? Why not just do it, right? And that brilliant argument got me off the bench, right? That brilliant argument got me. What? I was just challenged. I was just 